running isn't always comfortable. It means not always like some sort of nirvana that you're jumping out of bed and kicking your heels to, to do, you know. Um, but having those kind of whys really kind of reframe me rather than having one why of, oh, it must be about the medal. It must be about the time. You you have different whys. Um, you need a pocket full of whys, basically, depending on the day um, to, to, to achieve your goals, really. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli. Hope you didn't miss me too much these past few weeks. I'm back from my break with a fresh episode of the podcast, and my guest for this one is Marcus Brown. Marcus, who's known as the Marathon Marcus on Instagram, is a six-star World Marathon Majors finisher from London. He hosts the A Runner's Life podcast, and he's one of the co-founders of Black Trail Runners, which is a UK-based community and campaigning group that seeks to increase the inclusion, participation, and representation of black people in trail running. We covered a lot of ground in this episode. Marcus told me about his journey into running, how his relationship with it has evolved over the years, and why he views the marathon as a metaphor for life. We also discussed his relationship to anxiety, learning to be happy within yourself, and why it's important to have a pocket full of whys. He also told me about growing up black in the UK and why he had a chip on his shoulder as a kid, launching black trail runners and the fight for intentional inclusion in the sport, and the importance of opening up access to running and creating positive change in our local communities. We also geeked out about podcasting, talked about Marcus's relationship with Instagram, where he has a sizable following, and a lot more. Before we get into this one, a big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I've always had a number of different New Balance trainers in my rotation, and I'm going to highlight a few of my recent favorites in the coming weeks. The Fresh Foam 1080 V10 has been a go-to for me since January of this year, and I continue to be impressed with its comfort, versatility, and durability. I have beat the crap out of this shoe on long runs, easy runs, and fartlek sessions, and it still feels great under and around my feet, providing me a secure, well-cushioned ride that's not mushy at all. And for what it's worth, the last two trips I took before COVID-19 killed my spring and summer travel plans, this is the only running shoe that I brought with me. So if you're looking for a workhorse to add to your own stable of shoes this fall, check out the 1080 V10 at newbalance.com or at the links in the show notes. Okay, this is an awesome conversation and I'm super excited to share it with you. So let's get right into it with Marcus Brown. It is a pleasure to welcome you to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan, so uh, it's, it's amazing to talk to you. Here's what I know about you. <laughs> you host the podcast called A Runner's Life, and I first came across it because one of your guests, Knox Robinson, is a previous guest on the Morning Shakeout, and he's a friend of mine. And I'd never heard of it prior to that, and that's where I first came aware of your work. And then I've gone through and listened to other episodes since. I caught Nell Rojas recently. I listened to your most recent episode about the London Marathon and what's happening with all of that. And then started following you on Instagram. I know you're a six-star finisher of the World Marathon Majors. I know you're a father of two. And I know most recently, you are one of the co-founders of a new organization called Black Trail Runners. And I want to talk about all of those things and more over the course of this conversation. 
But where I'd like to dive in is where you got your start in running. So I wasn't really that sporty in terms of running at school. I used to play a lot of football, I guess soccer in the States, and I used to be really fit. Uh, then I went to university uh, and I lived a university life and uh, stopped training. And uh, <laughs> it kind of caught up with me. And I had a friend who did a couple of half marathons and 10Ks in Europe. And he came over and he was sort of saying to me, like, you should go and do this. I was like, there's no way you're going to get me to do that. Um, so he bet me. And that's probably the worst thing, because once you sort of challenged me, then I was like, I'm going to have to do it. Um, so he eventually found a race for me, uh, which was in 2006, which was the Nike uh, North versus South uh, race in Hyde Park. And yeah, that was my first experience of uh, running. So yeah, that's the start for me. Before you took on that bet, what was your hesitation with getting into the sport? I just couldn't see why a would run for, say, longer than 400 meters, <laughs> to be honest. Because playing like soccer, you just like, you, you got sprints. So I was playing a bit field, so I still had to do a lot of work. But it was all like stop, start, or if you play five side, it's still the same. But I just couldn't see why anyone would want to run for a long distance <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> so when you were training for football, the general conditioning stuff where you might go out for a distance run to work on your endurance, that wasn't exactly your thing, huh? I think the thing is, when you're playing it uh, when you're young, you're quite fit anyways because you're playing it mm -hmm. in uh, recess and uh, you're playing it after school, you, you know, you're playing it during the summer. So I was generally pretty fit anyways and, and obviously got PE lessons and so that sort of helped. But um, yeah, when I played football, um, it wasn't kind of uh, to a high high level, but you're on sort of school levels and playing for your school. But um, So I was generally fit as, as a kid, but yeah, I think once I went to university, I let it go. And then you kind of get to the thing, you sort of think, well, I've still got it. And then you realize that you clearly haven't. <laughs> I just start trying to run again. And I remember my first run was running between like lampposts, probably like less than 100 meters. And I was just out of breath. I just felt like your lung, my lungs were going to explode. Uh, it was just painful. And I remember just doing this, this loop, which I think was like a mile loop. And it was just a, a mixture of, between walking and running, walking and running. And every time I go back to this park, which is quite local to me, I always remember my first run almost. Um, so uh, I, that always sort of keeps me grounded and humble, really. And that was after you had finished your soccer career or football career? Yeah, I mean, I kind of stopped playing uh, when I went to university because I was sort of enjoying university life. <laughs> so, um, yeah. After that first run with the start and stop between the lamppost, how did you feel? Were you excited to get out there again or did you feel just as much trepidation about it as you had prior to that? It's a good question because, uh, I mean, I was running a lot by myself, so I wasn't training within a group. Uh, so it really hurt every session, but I, there's something within me that was just saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. I didn't enjoy the training at all, uh, but I thought I need to get it done. I need to prepare as much as I can. Uh, obviously, I made a lot of rookie mistakes at the time, um, like trying to run every run, like, you know, it's qu quicker than the day before or, you know, just not respecting the recovery days or strength and conditioning. Um, so I kind of went at it through sort of brute force rather than any sort of finesse or kind of any craft really. Um, and then I remember got to, I got to the race and uh, it kind of all came together and it was just such an incredible experience. The, the crowds, uh, the other runners, and just the amazing sense of achievement. Uh, once I got that, I was kind of, I was hooked. Um, and I kind of wanted to do more and more from then. 
had it clicked for you at all before the race or was it the day itself as you just described it that really did it for you? I think it was a race where it clicked. Um, and I thought, people say, well, when do you think you're a runner? And I think, well, when I crossed that 10K, for me, that was when I felt like I was a runner after I did all that training. Uh, well, for me, it seemed like a lot at the time. But um, yeah, I think that was a proof. Having the medal, crossing the line, um, it wasn't just the training runs anymore. It wasn't something I was telling my friends. It's not something that they couldn't see that it actually happened. So uh, yeah, for me, that was the kind of moment that it really clicked for me. Aside from putting in the training for the race and the race itself, did you have any interest in the sport of running? Did you start following it all? Were you looking for as much information as you could find? I'd love to dig into that a little bit with you. I've got to admit, to be honest, I was kind of in my own little silo, to be honest, because I was of the sort of the mindset growing up of like, if I try and put my mind into something and I, you know, I go for it, then I can achieve it. And I was just trying to be the best runner I could be. I wasn't really, at the start, a real student of the game, I'd say. That's probably come on more so later as I was speaking to different people when you get to know different people. Um, but at the beginning, it was more so just trying to get, it was almost like medal collecting in a weird way. It was almost to sort of fill myself up because I didn't really feel great about myself in that sort of stage of my life. So um, I kind of probably used running as one of those sort of escapes, really. and. Uh, yeah, I wasn't kind of. I was more in my own sort of world, just trying to collect medals, trying to get from race to race, and uh, you know, that's not the smartest way to go about things. But you know, sometimes you've got to you've got to learn the hard way, really. Well, take me through those next steps after you cross that first finish line. So the the first feeling was just like absolute like amazement, just like I can't believe I've done this. I couldn't even run, you know, from from like my lamppost lamppost before now I've just done this this race and it wasn't really so much about the time um and I wasn't really thinking about that time but when I crossed the line I was thinking when's the next race what's next um and then you get back get into runner's world uh, and then you're sort of googling all the uh the races um and then I was just basically looking at a lot of half marathons like 10ks and I did quite a lot of those for a while then I built my confidence to do my first marathon in 2008 um and yeah so it was just a real sort of snowball effect but i think i was really kind of impatient i was really trying to rush the process um and it kind of made me fall out of love with running at a certain point um and that was around about 2010 um because i was basically trying to force it and i didn't have a coach at the time i was pretty green i was just looking at um uh, books online um, and then getting into runner's world and just trying to learn through that way but I think there's more information now than there was then um, and I think more people will prepare to share because I think at that sort of time when, when you sort of said to people I'm going to run a marathon people were like oh that's pretty amazing but now you say I'm running a marathon no one cares it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like running an ultra marathon and then they might be they might be sort of a little bit impressed but at that time it was kind of when everyone was kind of impressed by the marathon marathon distance let's hit pause right there something you just said jumped out to me and i'd love to get your thoughts on it you mentioned how after you crossed that first finish line you everything just sort of like accelerated for you i mean you kind of went full in on running and it sounds like you got a little burnt out by it is that something that you see happening to a lot of newer runners they cross that first finish line 
they get that feeling of euphoria and then they just want to do everything because there's essentially this like limitless buffet in front of you. Yeah, I think I can, I agree with that. And I just think sometimes it's part of life really where people assume that if you do A plus B, then it will equal C straight away. Like there's a, a path that if you follow it, then you'll get faster or whatever. I mean, I get messages on my profile. Sometimes people saying, how do I get faster? Or what can I do to do this? And I'm hesitant really to want to give advice. And I just always go back to what my coach said to me, uh, my current coach, uh, we've been with for like the last three years or so. And he just said, like, just have patience, you know, give me, you know, three years or whatever, um, and just trust the process. And I think that's something I would give to advice I'd give to people starting out, but it's not, it's not the, it's not like the clickbait type advice that people want to hear. They kind of want to hear what's the magic workout or what's the secret <laughs> uh, bullet, but there's, there is none. It's literally just being consistent and just trusting in the process. Um, and I think just, oh, I'd also say to people, sorry, I just respect the easy runs. And that's something I didn't really respect at the, at the start. I was just, like I said, I was trying to run every run like I was uh, like <laughs> getting chased or trying to beat a PB or, and that's just not sustainable. Yeah, I think you're spot on. In my experience in the sport, especially as a coach, I see that all the time. People cross that first finish line or they cross a few finish lines and they want to improve. And they think the path to improvement is linear and it involves just working harder than you did before. And to your point, your coach's point, he's spot on. It is about embracing that long-term process. It's about being patient. I think there's a lot about our society in general that goes against that. People want everything yesterday and they end up focusing on those things that should be the last like three to 5% and they haven't addressed, you know, that first 95 to 97% as you just described. Yeah, absolutely. Back to your beginnings. Was it a very personal thing for you or did you find a community in running after that first race that you embraced and in turn embraced you? Um. It's a good question. I think this is way before I had an Instagram profile and that kind of kicked off. So I kind of kept a lot of my stuff, my running personal. I didn't really look at joining a, a running club because I just thought that they were kind of <laughs> like beyond me. I, th- I remember, I think, trying to join a running club and it was very, quite, it was quite elitist in some aspects. And that really put me off. Um, and I remember just even trying to do some easy runs and it just seemed like everyone was just being ultra competitive, even on easy runs. I thought, you know what, this is not what I want. I just kind of want to enjoy my running. I want to do my own thing. Um, And then I think I just spent a lot of time just, yeah, myself, just running by myself. Um, But also I think that's also to do with something we might get into a little bit later in terms of just... uh, uh, race and diversity and just the way mm-hmm. that you sort of see yourself so uh, I think when I look back at it now I think that did have a massive part to play but I think at the time I didn't really realize it as I do now. Sure as a new runner do you think that's a common experience not just where you live in London and in the UK but in general to join a group or see a running club and feel intimidated by it or like you're not fast enough or don't belong for whatever reason yeah sometimes you can't be what you can't see and I remember during 
since going to this club and I was not seeing any other black people there. And I know people might say that's ridiculous, like there's other runners, but sometimes you need to see people that look like you for you to think, oh, it's it's possible. Um, but I mean, that hasn't always been the way. Like, for example, when I did the Six Stars, um, one of my friends that did New York that sort of kicked the journey off for me was white. So, um, I mean, that, that sort of conversation in my mind has sort of changed. But at the beginning, I was very kind of young and just very kind of anxious and just not really sure of myself. Um, and it just, it seems like quite uh, an intimidating place to be at. And when I was really just trying to struggle to sort of figure out who I was and um, what I was about and what this running thing meant to me. To frame that, how old were you at that time? I probably was in my mid-twenties, I'd say. Yeah, okay. so probably about, about 25. And looking back, when did things start to flip for you in terms of perspective when you realized and thought more about the fact that there weren't many people who looked like you in the clubs, in the gatherings, in a lot of the races that you were doing? Um, I think that's probably been something that's ongoing um, for a little while, really. Um, But it's only probably more so recently that it's kind of... um, with the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement in 2020, that it's become something I thought about more deeply. I think at the time in my mid-20s, I wasn't thinking about it consciously about uh, the race side. Uh, I was just more coming at it from a place of just not feeling good enough. So to give you a bit of context about where that sort of feeling came from, basically growing up um, as a black kid in the UK, um, I had a talk with my mum, probably about four, five years old, and she basically explained to me like what the world was like and how I would be seen as different and I'd need to work twice as hard or 10 times harder and this kind of thing. And it really puts a chip in your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really sort of frames you that you're really not good enough. You need to do more. So I think I've always had that in my life. I've always been like uh, going and going and going. Um and running actually was a the good lesson because I sort of thought like if I go for these medals and I go for these times and that will you know keep me going to that level. But uh, it's actually not until 2010 I think uh, that running really taught me a valuable lesson. It's always the lessons that you don't think um, <laughs> uh, are the most glamorous are the ones that teach you the most in running, and that's what I've I've learned. Um, so back in 2010, just to give you a bit of context, I was. Uh, aiming to go for a sub four marathon and I ran London and I made all the rookie mistakes. I basically ran way too quick and I blew up spectacularly. Uh, It was about eight miles. I was was walking. I was like, this is going to be tough. So I was running, walking, running, walking from eight miles. So you can imagine how tough that is. And um, then you get to anyone that's run London. Once you get to pass halfway, um, over Tower Bridge, you can see the other side of the course, which is about mile 20 plus. And so you can see the elites and everyone else running back. So you can really see you've got to go into, you know, like near Canary Wharf and that kind of way. And then you've got to come all the way back. And you sort of see the mileage, like the mile mark of the 13, 22, just like, man, it's going a long way. And I remember getting down to Canary Wharf and seeing my wife and just being like, this is just terrible. I don't think I can do this anymore. And you know, you get to that point of like, you're trying to run away from, you're trying to run towards something, but then yourself catches up. That was a point Mm -hmm. for me. I was just like, this is ridiculous. So she's like, no, you've got to finish it. So I finished it. It was a a struggle. 
Um, and then I did Berlin towards the end of the year. I was like, sub four is what I need to go for. I didn't make it. I think I meant 404. Um, and then I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, I hate running. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't want to do it anymore. And I stopped running for about four years, actually. I needed to sort of, I thought it's like, I need to step away from this because I'm just making running the excuse. I need to just really look at myself. I need to give myself a bit of grace. Um, and I was really in that kind of that time and that moment um, that was really helpful for me. So you stepped away from the sport entirely after that marathon in Berlin? Yeah, because I was just, I was just burning myself out. I was just trying mm-hmm. to, like the advice we spoke about before, you know, um, you're not always going to improve from marathon to marathon. You might have a couple training blocks that aren't so great, but it's a consistency. But at the time, I thought it must be a linear type sort of progression. It must be A plus B will equal C. And it doesn't. Sometimes you're just stuck in A, <laughs> A minus. <laughs> so and before you sort of move forward. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you describe that. And I think your experience is consistent with what a lot of runners experience at at some point of their career. Every runner experiences at some point of their career. It's never completely linear. But I think for new runners, especially when they stop seeing that progress and they stop seeing that growth, it stops being fun. And a lot of runners just don't know how to move forward from there. They feel sort of stuck in neutral. And it sounds like your solution at the time was to step away from it when you weren't seeing that progress anymore. Yeah, because sometimes you hear that people say like, you know, running is my therapy, but I don't think that's true. I think you've got to be in the right space to run. So like even now when I run, if you're not happy you're not always going to be super happy but if you're not in a good place then you won't run quickly well quickly is obviously different to admit what to each person but essentially you have to be happy within yourself first before the running can sort of uh progress and you can't look to running or anything else to fill your cup because it's almost like you've got a bucket if you've got holes in the bucket the water's just always going to pour out so i needed to sort of repair the bucket if that makes sense no, it does make sense. So you were away from it for what, four years, you said? Yeah, four years. Were you thinking about running at all during that time? I mean, obviously, at some point you had to because you came back to it. But what was your relationship with it like when you stepped away after Berlin? Uh, I think initially I hated it for a year, so I didn't do anything. Then I sort of came back and thought, oh, I'll do an ultra marathon because that's the next thing. I need to go bigger <laughs> and further and faster. Uh, and then I found an ultra coach and, uh, he wasn't, you know, I think I'm really happy with the coach I met with now. And we basically tried to rush things too quickly before my body was able to handle those things. And I set up to his races and I got injured. And then that sort of put me deeper into the sort of pit of despair of hating running. Um, then I stopped for a while. And then I remember watching the London marathon, I think 2014 and the BBC. And I was just like, this is just incredible. Like it kind of, <laughs> I almost forgot about what happened in 2010. And I thought, okay, uh, let's, um, let's just apply. Um, and I applied in a ballot and I know a lot of people are going to hate me because I'm like, Oh, it's so, so unfair, <laughs> but I've got a place, uh, for that race. And I was just like, damn, I know, <laughs> I've got a train now. I've got to do this race. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was kind of my, my return into it. And I think it was more the joy that uh, I saw from, the runners, not so much the elite runners, but just uh, the people raising money 
because uh, that's the great thing about the London Marathon. I mean, last year's like the biggest one-day charity event in the world, £66 million raised, over a billion pounds raised since its inception in the 80s. And just watching the stories, just hearing that really inspired me just to sort of not just think about myself and the running times so much, even though they are important, but it, it kind of reconnected me to why people are running and just looking at some of the challenges that people are having in, in their own lives and they're still going out there and getting it done. So it was really just a reframing of perspective more than anything else for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, that alongside obviously work that I had to do on myself in terms of uh, being more aware of how I saw things um, and how I processed things. Um, and obviously that's an ongoing thing through one's life. You never get to a point where you're just like, I've arrived. <laughs> I think it's always like it's a different step, but I think I was further along uh, to kind of understand where I was and not to put so much emphasis into running. Running was a expression, running still is an expression of who I am, but it's not all of who I am. When you got started again, got into London, started training for it, was it more fun than it was before? It was. I wasn't really focused on trying to run every session as fast as I could. But um, yeah, I was still kind of trying to enjoy it as much as possible. Um, and I had that that focus, really. Um, you know, we talk about visualization. I think that was probably my first experience of visualization for racing, um, just thinking about those runners and what they, they experienced and what they achieved from the previous year. Um, so I tried, to, I think I kept that in my head. And, you know, running isn't always comfortable. I mean, it's not always like some sort of nirvana that you're jumping out of bed and clicking your heels to, to do, you know. Um, but having those kind of whys really kind of reframed me rather than having one why of, oh, it must be about the medal. It must be about the time. You you have different whys. Um, you need a pocket full of whys, basically, depending on the day um, to, to, to achieve your goals, really. Have your whys evolved over the years? Yeah, for sure. And they never really stay the same. Um, sometimes it's about uh, loss, people you've lost, um, or rem remembering the person that you've grown into, or doing it for like my kids, or thinking about um, just things wider than myself. So it does change. And I, I wouldn't, I couldn't sit here and just say to you, you know, there's one why that keeps me going out every day it's it's not i mean as you as you grow and you develop as a person your whys do change um like for example uh my recent what one of my recent whys is to do with my last marathon result and um so but once you know that's a you know something that probably won't be something i'll sort of keep through the rest of my life if that makes sense mm -hmm. so fast forward through things for me a little bit how did that experience at the London Marathon go for you the second time around? Uh, so it was a little bit faster, uh, still in the falls, but um, and I enjoyed it a little bit more. I didn't burn out so quickly. Um, I just really took in the crowds and lift my head up because I think sometimes when you're in that pit of suffering, I think the first time, you just think it's just you and then you realise actually, you know, there's, everyone else is suffering. Or, you know, everyone's going through the same thing. And that kind of gives you a little bit of comfort in a weird way that it's not just you. Uh, yeah, there's, there's like a problems. solidarity to it. Yeah. Um, so I think that was one of the changes 
uh, the second time round. And I think I was just more grateful that I could come back and 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 be there because I had I'd gone through some real down moments in my life before that. Um, and in terms of my anxiety and my mental health, and I'd come back and I was like, I'm still here. Uh, so uh, whatever happens is a as a blood as a blessing. You know, you just it can't be taken away from me. Is anxiety something that you've dealt with for a long time or is it something that had come on more recently? Uh, I think it's something what's something I touched upon in the early part of the conversation of like how I came up in sort of having that conversation um, from my mother. And I think that really shaped just the way that I've seen my, my life. Um, I've always been uh, a goal driven person but I think you having that sort of anxiety, that negative, that nagging doubt that you need more, not enough, um, you know, definitely did fuel me to a lot of successes in my life in terms of like professionally um, and other areas of my life. But it also held you held me back because you just you're never content, you're never okay with, with yourself. So I'd say that where I'm at now, I'm a lot happier. Um, I know you know what what that sort of part of me was and i know that sometimes i think we take on these things these labels of like it's just us but i I had some really great conversations with like family members and i could really sort of see how they came up and their experiences in life and how it shaped my experience and how those things were passed down and i got to a point of just like realizing you know i'm carrying stuff that I don't need to be carrying. Mm-hmm. I'm carrying like stuff is generationally uh, through the generations, and um, I am intrinsically a good person. I am, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then once I started listening to that voice, I think things clicked. And not that I would um, diminish anyone's um, mental health or or anxieties and things like that. But for me personally, I can only speak for me personally. Um, once I stopped labeling myself as having anxiety or whatever, I felt that thing, I, I sort of shed a weight and I could move forward uh, and I'm a lot happier w- with myself. So it's not say, that's not to say that every day is perfect, but you just know who you are and what you're not. I think that's the most important thing. And sometimes the labels that we have can hold us back. And it's just knowing what is true and what isn't true. And just be mindful of, the conversations that we're having uh, with ourselves because we can be our harshest critics, you know, just because you think something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Mm-hmm. You need to sit with it and just be like, okay, is this helpful? Is it, is it true? Yeah. And on the flip side of that though, you can and do believe the things that you do tell yourself. So if you are constantly telling yourself these things and they are negative, they can become reinforcing over time. And then you've dug yourself into a hole that becomes rather difficult to get out of. Exactly. And that's all you see, because that's the truth that you tell yourself. That's all you see. I appreciate you sharing all of that. I'm glad that we can talk about it now. But when were you first able to open up about this sort of stuff to other people and not hold it all inside? Um, it's a good question. I, I, I still feel like even though I'm on Instagram and online, I'm still quite a private person. So um, I don't always speak about it so much on my, my post, but I try to be, that's why I think I'm quite mindful of people that are in the same situations or even worse situations. 
Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure when if there was a particular point where it clicked, but like I said, like for running after 2010, that was one mm. of the points where I was just like, this is a signpost that I need to listen to. Um, and then there were a couple other points, but it's like your parents telling you something in your life. It's like, you might have to hear it like 10 times before you're just like, <laughs> ah, okay, cool. And it's life is just like slapping you in the face going, this is what you need to do. And you're like, no, <laughs> I'm going to turn right here. And it's just like a couple of those sort of points. I, I wouldn't really say that there was one definitive point that it kind of clicked, but it was lots of different points where you just you, you join the dots back and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. You've mentioned Instagram a couple times now, and you have a fairly active profile. You've got a big following, 19-ish thousand followers. Last time that I checked, your handle is the Marathon Marcus, and that word marathon really jumps out at me. And I find that interesting given how you've described your experiences <laughs> with yeah. the first three that you ran. When did Instagram come into play for you as it relates to your relationship with running? And when did you start to identify yourself as the marathon, Marcus, and have that be a part of your at least online identity? Oh, there's a couple of good points there. So I think, do you know when you set up an email as a kid and it's like <laughs> Marcus Brown, something, 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 you're just like, oh my gosh, and you bring it forward into your adulthood, you're just like, man, this is kind of embarrassing. Uh, it's kind of like one of those situations. I mean, I started it way back when, when I didn't have any one following. I just thought, I don't really want to talk about running my Facebook because I'm sort of boring my friends about it and no one really understands what I'm talking about. So I thought, let me go on Instagram and uh, just almost keep myself accountable. And one of the reasons why I joined Instagram was because naturally I'm quite an introverted person. So I thought, let me just do something which will put myself out there and break that fear of just like some of the lies that we talk, which, you know, we talk about the lies that we tell, tell mm -hmm. ourselves. And so for me, it was almost like an exercise to be um, do something that really scared me, um, put myself out there because I was never really the person that kind of would speak up and just be like, I'm a runner and blah, blah, blah. So I thought, let's do that and see what, see what happens. And if you go way back, I mean, my, my first posts aren't of anything. It's just of like the roads, the sky. You might see like <laughs> a bit of my material, my clothing, but I'm not in the shot. Like now you can look at, you can completely different, like a selfie. You're like, who is this guy? Uh, but <laughs> at the beginning, it was more so um, having fun with it. And just, I think I was rediscovering the love of marathons and getting back into marathons again. Um, hence the name, uh, the Marathon Marcus. I think Marathon Marcus was taken. So I think that's why I had to add that in there, just to <laughs> add a little bit of difference. But you were clearly thinking of the marathon as a part of your identity as a runner, which I find just super interesting because you had a few frustrating experiences with, with it out the gate. Yeah. I think going back to that London experience of 2010, having the, all those range of emotions, um, I feel like that has always been like a fuel for me. All that, all that time to sort of go back and having like even my work colleagues at the time it was just just like really disparaging about the result um, and me thinking no this is not true I'm going to prove you wrong and obviously at the start you you go from trying to prove other you know prove people wrong but then you you learn you know it's about proving yourself right um, so it's kind of changed as, as I've as I've got older but I mean that has been a massive uh, 
motivation. And I guess, yeah, subconsciously, I think that marathon probably has does form a lot of the 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 the, the later uh, races and experiences. And maybe when I look at it, maybe what is the aim for that? I mean, you never really conquer the marathon. You know, you never really. I mean, you could run a good marathon, and sometimes you you think, okay, I could have done more, and maybe you could have done more, maybe you could have done more. Sometimes you give more, and then you realize you shouldn't have given that bit more. <laughs> so it's a great sort of lesson for life, really. Just a marathon, it's just the unpredictability of it. I mean, you can train for it, you can do all the work, but it owes you nothing. And it's actually just learning to love that part of life and not just be so focused on trying to love predictability linear progress it's just trying to learn to love just the the messiness uh the untidiness the frustrations of life and just being in the storm and not trying to fight it when did that start clicking for you good question um uh, yeah, different moments again, but I give you an example. So last year I was running um, the Berlin Marathon and uh, I had an awful uh, build up. I had some health scares and I wasn't running uh, my my workouts in the times that I, I knew I could do. Because like we talked about before, like if you're a happy runner, then you, you run quickly. But if you're not, you're not going to run what you need to do. And uh I just remember just thinking, okay, whatever happens with this, just keep going, um, but just keep consistent. And I'd still do my easy runs. I'd still be doing, you know, turning out the miles, but those workouts are really tough. And I remember getting to Berlin and just thinking, like, yeah, maybe this training block hasn't gone so great, but you've done all the work for all the years previously. Why don't you just believe in that? Why don't you just give it a go? Why don't you just like believe in in the impossible? Uh, for for obviously for, for for my sort of where I was at that time, um, and my coach at the time. I mean, he <laughs> we spoke afterwards, and he said to me like, well, "I predicted that you'd probably run that in three fifteen, and I ended up running it in three oh one, and I don't think I ran that because I ran like great." Um, you know, times in, in that train block before, but I just think it was just more so knowing that it's the process, you know, just trusting mm-hmm. the years. Um, and I was thinking, okay, cool. Well, I've done this. Not, not didn't, I didn't come out of thinking like, okay, that means that I can wing it and I can just not put the work in for future uh, marathons. But it just basically showed me that, you know, all those miles count. They all count. Yeah. I think there are two big takeaways there. One, the accumulation of training over the years, especially with the marathon. I tell my athletes all the time, it never goes to waste, but it's hard to drill that into someone's head when they're going through a frustrating experience in the moment, whether it's with a particular workout or a training block. We become so narrowly focused on what we just did um, and not what we've done over a long period of time. And then the second thing is when you have a lot of times, this doesn't happen all the time, but it happens more often than people give it credit for, you end up having this buildup that doesn't go perfectly for whatever reason. You just described yours to Berlin. It was less than ideal. And then you end up having this pretty big breakthrough during the race. And I think there's something about that that takes off this layer of self-imposed pressure that we all tend to put on ourselves. And that 
want of having everything go perfectly in the buildup to the race and have it be like we talked about earlier, very linear. Okay, if I do these workouts and I do these long runs and I do it for 12 weeks in a row, then the answer is going to be this time that I have set as my goal for the race. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, being relaxed about the goals and not having as a big drive, I think it definitely was a, a, a big benefit for me, for sure. What was the first major performance breakthrough for you in the marathon? Um, where you felt like you finally just nailed one and executed well? Uh, probably the first time that I broke sub four. I think it took me about seven or eight times um, <laughs> to do it. And that was just because I was not really respecting the the training so much. I do 16 weeks, for example, and I know it's going to be sacrilege to people listening to it, but I just thought, you know, you just have some time off and you come back to it. You know, that's not how it works. Um, and I was just wondering why I wasn't getting it any better. So uh, when I got a coach and, um, you know, things started to click, then that's what happened. But then you sort of see all those sort of bits coming together. And when I think when I broke sub four, I was just like, wow, this is really cool. Like now I can kind of kick on. Um, but I mean, each one, I guess, has sort of taught me something, but I wouldn't say that's probably like the the top moment, but I'd say that's probably one of the, the key moments where I thought, okay, well, I can really start to believe now. I'm not limited by what people said to me before. Like I still had that thing in the back of my mind of 4.55, trying to shake mm-hmm. that off. Um, so, um, but it's, it's crazy. I mean, like now when I sort of think about training and, uh, and I'm going off tangent here, but, um, I know we're on this Instagram world and all that kind of stuff. And I've, people have asked me before, like, are you worried about what people think about when you're doing races? And I'm thinking, well, not really. I'm only really thinking about what my coach is thinking. Like I want to do well for myself. I want to do well for my coach. I want to do well for my family. And I think everyone else, I just try to block out. Um, and I think at the beginning, I was allowing so many other people's opinions into it. Am I a run if I'm break sub four? Am I this, am I that? Um, and I think as you, some people get quicker than others, um, you just have to work, make your world a lot smaller and just be really selective in terms of the information that you, you take on board. And I think that's probably come on a bit later, um, even my recent marathons, I'd say. Just to continue along that line for a bit, you have a big Instagram following. You're very active. There's a lot of interaction and engagement on your posts. Has your relationship with Instagram and how you interact with it evolved over the past few years as you've gotten faster and as your following has grown and people have shown more interest in your running? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um I think for me, Instagram is great for engagement and I always feel grateful for someone that messages me or DMs me and I feel like if they've spent some time responding to me, then I should you know, show them the same courtesy. Um, so that's why I'm pretty active in terms of like responding back. Um, in terms of getting faster, I mean, ironically, it's like I haven't really thought about getting faster if that makes sense i've just been thinking about um being consistent um and just thinking about the blocks and training blocks and training blocks um and i don't think that's really 
But then I guess oh, it's a good question because I think would you it, it does make you sort of think what do you talk about as you're as you as you develop as a runner, as a developer as a person. And I think I ultimately just try to be as real as I can be in that time. I don't have um like set uh like messages I'm gonna write or you know, like mm-hmm. planned posts. I kind of write on the fly, which um I think definitely i think responds to some people which is which is which is nice um but i just try to be honest with, with my my training i just try to be open to say like it's i have some great days i have some not so great days but i think ultimately it's just like not focusing on whether it's good or bad it's just like just being in it and i think just being humble like for example like i i recently posted a run that didn't go so great and i just tried to frame it in the way that i said look everyone just like these things happen and you just have to be mindful where you are and then you just kind of move forward and you have to forget it as quick as you forget a good run and I think those are the kind of things that I try to I just try to share what I, I'm thinking at the time I might look back at it in five years and be like oh my god I can't believe I said that <laughs> but uh, ultimately I'm just trying to talk to people as I'm sort of figuring things out uh, as I go along and you know we're people we, we grow there's no there's never a point of like you reach the top of the mountain and you stay there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy my running and I hope that, hope that that comes across to people uh, when I, uh, I share my posts and, uh, online. Well, I think that's part of the appeal is that you are so relatable, not just in terms of the times that you've run, but the experiences that you share. Because as we've described throughout this conversation, I think there are a lot of people, regardless of what times they've put on the clock, they're afraid to accept or talk about those tough moments that are an inevitable part of any runner's journey. So when you see that from someone while it's scrolling Instagram feed, back to what we were saying earlier about creating some solidarity, even if you've never met that person or you're on the other side of the world, knowing that someone else is experiencing the same thing or feeling the same way is really powerful and can help you continue to move forward in your own pursuits. Yeah, I mean, last year I was uh, talking about my my goal to break a sub-three-hour marathon and I didn't achieve it, but I got close. I ran 301, 302. Oh, sorry, I ran 305 in Manchester, 301 in Berlin, and then three hours, 19 seconds in, in New York City. So I think people can relate to that as well. It's just like, you know, sometimes in life you might achieve something, sometimes you don't. It's, it's just one of those things, but it doesn't mean that you give up. I mean, there's more, I don't, I don't, I don't like using the word talented runners because I don't like that word because I think that almost sort of gives an idea that they don't have to work hard, which everyone does. Um, there's people that get to results a lot quicker than I have. Um, but you know, I just try to, to show, show, uh, myself and, um, more so myself actually, than I just sort of try to speak it out that, you know, it's, it's about just sticking with it, just, uh, being resilient and just, just not giving up. Over the past few years, how has your relationship with community where you live in London change? Obviously, right now, things are still kind of in disarray with COVID-19 pandemic and various restrictions and whatnot. But prior to all of this, did you find yourself seeking out groups more, getting more involved in the community, meeting up with other people? I'd love to get your perspective on that. 
Yeah, community is a great point. And it's something I'm still trying to work through at the moment. And I think when you first start off on Instagram, it's kind of like, you know, you're meeting remotely and then you actually start to make friends and then you meet people and then you build those connections. And then I guess the next step would be to join a running clubs. But I always had um, a kind of a feeling was with some, just you just never sort of find your space. I tried to join a couple of running clubs and didn't really work. But I feel, you know, community and just doing stuff, just not for yourself, is such an important part. And it's a, it's a question I've been asking myself and an opportunity came up, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into. But um, I mean, 2020 has been such a crazy year for so many reasons. Um, Black Lives Matter uh, movement has become more prominent. I just think because, you know, we've got these amazing... Uh, computers in our pockets i mean these things happened you know <laughs> these incidents happened you know long before 2020 i mean even in the uk i know there's a lot of talk about what's happening with especially with george floyd uh, brianna taylor Ahmad Aubrey, for example but you know in the uk you know, you've got like mark duggan there's so many people that have died in police custody of color that have you know not um sort of had the same sort of um coverage really and mm-hmm. community i mean you sort of trying to figure out where do you sort of place yourself and i think last year is kind of difficult because i think when i think when that sort of really funny time where everyone's sort of running for medals and times you think well what is it for and i think it's almost a good thing that it's kind of stopped to a certain extent because it makes you sort of reevaluate like why am i running and why am i who am i running with um and I just think this year has been a really pivotal, especially with the topic that we talked about. Um, and it's brought me into connection with other um, black runners. And we've basically formed a group uh, called Black Trail Runners. Um, and it's just basically just to help bring, um, you know, black runners into in, into this trail world, basically, which we can go into. But I think before that, you just, I was just trying to find my my voice of where do you lend your voice because mm-hmm. it's difficult sometimes because you, people ask you to do things all the time. And I appreciate you probably get the same sort of thing and you get pulled in the directions and just like, is this the right thing? Is this the right community that I want to put things forward towards? Um, I mean, ultimately, there's a couple of things that I want to do. I want to sort of work on that sort of side, but also I want to work into um, giving access into running not just black but just generally as well uh just because when people say uh you know running the cheap sport um it's not you know your shoes are expensive your your watch is expensive your kit's expensive it might not be safe for you to run where you are um there's so many factors um so for me it's like i want to use my voice to kind of move towards that sort of severe rather than just focusing on times and whilst they are important don't get me wrong i want to look back and say this is my time but ultimately like a life just for you is is kind of shallow and doesn't really have that much meaning yeah and i feel the same way and i think it's this forced pause of the last few months that has allowed a lot of this to happen because i think if we were all caught up in the inertia of our day-to-day and as runners training for this race and just following the regular rhythms that we're used to, there wouldn't be 
the time, energy, and attention to devote to these causes or even the time just to think about, especially those of us who have a voice and have a bigger platform, how we want to use it. And I thought about about that myself here where I live in the Bay Area. I travel around throughout the year going to this race and that race, running it, covering it, you know, interviewing people. I thought about what can I do here in my own community to make running more accessible to people who otherwise wouldn't know that we have amazing places to run around here and that it's yeah. something that they can do. So I applaud you for taking that step because I think it's really important and it's great to see more people in the community, in communities around the world thinking about running is just more than training for the next race or performance. Those things are great. They're important. I, I love them. I love it too. But it's a it's a very like small part of what it means to be a runner. Yeah, absolutely. And just you saying that made me think of something. I was fortunate enough to speak to Alison Desir mm-hmm. and obviously Knox Robinson on my podcast. And following the murder of Mart Aubrey, I think one of the reasons why it was so triggering was because uh, when I run, now I think about it on the, the whys, it's because it's a sense of freedom, it's a sense of like adventure. It's almost like uh, a break from your your normal life of people's interpretations of what you are, what you're not, Instagram, offline. you just you, you know. It's your doing what you need to do off your own steam, and it's amazing. And the seeing that what happened with Mud, basically it was just like a reminder that, oh, you know, life isn't always that free, even this thing that we love to do, which is running. And I remember speaking to both and I said to them on my podcast, I was just like, well, what? I'm so frustrated, but what do I do about it? And they both basically said in kind of similar ways, it's like, you don't have to be like, you know, thinking like 20 steps ahead. You just need to start with where you are in your community. And we all can do that. You don't need to have mm-hmm. an Instagram following. You could have the conversations of your family, the conversations of your friends, people in your local community, um, and just start to make that change. And yeah, so that's basically how the sort of the black trail runner sort of uh, um, kind of snowballed from there. Really, with it wasn't just myself, but it's seven other um, founders as well. So it's been a, an amazing sort of process. I want to get into that here in a second, but to volley off of what you just said, I think that is so important in this world of Instagram and social media and mass reach. And not that mass races are happening right now, but we always think about the big events, the London marathons, the Bostons, the New Yorks, large road races, large trail races. And that is what a lot of people perceive as running. And I mean, that's sort of the as big as it gets. This movement has to start from the ground up and it's got to start in our communities within our running clubs taking a closer look at who is making up our our groups is it diversified and if it's not why and what can be done about that and if that's happening in enough places that is how real change is going to happen it's not going to happen from sharing instagram posts i mean it's great to share all that information and get it out there but the real change the real work is going to happen in our own backyards yeah and obviously race is one part of it but there's so many other factors into it i mean are we being a good citizen and one of the main issues that we get from some detractors about the stuff that we're doing is that people say well i go running in the trails and i don't see a problem with it and 
it's almost like me saying to a woman who's experienced some sort of, form of harassment whilst running that it doesn't exist because I've never experienced it as a man. And people uh, can be a bit limited in that sort of sense of just because it's not happened to them doesn't mean it's not a real and lived experience for other people. And the issue that we have with race um, is that whilst we still have the overt f- forms of racism, which you all know, a lot of people don't really identify with that. They sort of say, well, I'm not racist. I'm not that person. I'm not like that mob mentality. But racism today can be quite subtle, quite, you know, uh, insidious. It, it can be very, like, you can go from being the victim to the perpetrator for saying it. So, for example, I can say to you, like, one of my long runs, I go into a country road and I was running out and I stopped to check something on my phone. This gentleman comes over to me and he says, oh, you lost. Now, someone might, two years ago, have said, that's not, that's not applying anything. But to be honest, I, I didn't approach this gentleman saying I was lost. I didn't look like I was lost. I was just on my phone. And I, I saw him and I still carried on. So, and he still had to came, came over to me to ask that question. So that's where we are sometimes what racism looks like today. It's not always so overt. But going back to what I'm saying, like we all can be good citizens, whether it's race, sex, whatever. I think if we hear something or see something, it's called it out. Why black trail runners? And the word I want to focus on there is trail. I mean, I think it's a great initiative that you guys have gotten off the ground in the UK. And I hope it's something that can make its way over here to the US. But why focus in on that trail community in particular? Yeah, you could argue why is you know, in, in road running. And there is some aspects within road running, but then people would, would argue and say, well, you know, the elite athletes are black. So, <laughs> you know, that, that we sort of just put that to one side. But uh, the thing with uh, trail running is, I uh, can I really speak in, in the UK, is that um, a lot of people of colour will live within sort of, um, tend to live in sort of cities. So, for example, me being in London, like I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to run where I am. Mm-hmm. I'm to go out into the trails. It's going to be more of an effort in terms of you know driving out there, getting a train or whatever. And then you're the only one. So sometimes, even if it's a, if it's an issue for you to run within your own city, uh, maybe for access or just finances or whatever. Um, if you're not running your city, then why are you going to go outside? So I think it's just more so that there's less representation especially within races as well uh, that you see um and that's not to say that the ultra community aren't welcoming and and i that's why i just want to go on to the point before about sort of talking about uh racist and not racist and anti-racism i think there's like different sort of levels um i just think when we look at running clubs or races traditionally we look at in the world of uh a white world in terms of that's what we perceive as normal so when we look at like uh, races or documentation, if I challenge any of the, like, the viewers or sort of the listeners, when you're looking at race um, photos uh, from the races that you're signing up for or the brands, or the things that you're buying, what, who are the people that you're seeing? Who are the people that you're seeing on your magazines? You know, those are the kind of <sighs> problems that, that we're having. And, and when you don't sort of see it within... It's still an issue within sort of road running, but then even more so within trail running, because I think it's such an issue for people to sort of get out of their cities to go and do that. 
And although there might be people that may live in those areas, you know, they are still the only ones. <laughs> so um, we just like to basically make it seem part of the conversation. And some people would argue that you're trying to create a, a black separatist type thing. And it's not, it's not that. It's more so that we are trying to make it part of the everyday, the normal part of the running experience. Right. So at some point, it doesn't actually have to be uh, Black Child Runners Association anymore. It's just runners, ultra runners. Yeah, and I like the approach that you guys have taken from the start here to ask race directors to just include on registrations a question about race and just so they can have those numbers and they can show that because it can help make a difference in getting more people who aren't white to sign up for these types of events. More about, you know, this intentional inclusion rather than just the, you know, the kind of Pollyanna-ish <laughs> attitude that it's like, oh, but we're we're super welcoming. It's like, well, yeah, it's it's great that, you know, you're welcoming when someone shows up, but being intentionally inclusive is a very different thing. Yeah. And I think that's what we're basically working towards. We're looking at, and I mean, we'd be really surprised actually. Um, <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous to say that because sometimes, you know, you have an idea and you put it out there in the world and it's like you know, the, the movie, Field of Dreams, Field of mm-hmm. Dreams, like <laughs> build it and they will come. <laughs> sometimes you're hoping that they do come, but sometimes you have an idea, no one comes. So um, it's been really uh, humbling to see that, you know, there's been a lot of race directors that reach out to us going, no, this is what we've wanted to, to do, but we've not been able to sort of um, facilitate it. So this is, this is fantastic. So we are basically in the elementary stages. So I guess once this goes out, I think we'll definitely have a bit more information to, to add. But at this stage, I think we're just having the conversation. We're just highlighting in an open letter. It's been really well received that, you know, just be mindful of just like who is running your races. Is it welcoming? Are you making an active effort for um, non-white runners to be a part and feel welcome? And it's the same experience as I said to you before about me uh, doing my joining sort of running clubs. I mean, I didn't feel like there's anyone that looked like me. Right. But I was okay in myself that I could go and think, okay, forget it. I'm going to go run anyways. But there might be some people that might think, well, you know, that's going to put me off. But then I'm not trying to put myself on some sort of level because ultimately, like, if you run with other people, it actually does make you a better runner. So that's that's one part of my sort of running that's probably suffered as a result of, of those sort of feelings. But like I said, there's going to be people that, you know, will just not want to take part. And we are just trying to make, you know, a space for, for those runners to feel more comfortable, more accepted, uh, give them access into these uh, races to make them feel that, you know, they are part of that community. Um, because, you know, Sometimes it's like this big misconception that, you know, the running community is all inclusive. Like it's it's some sort of separate utopia from (laughs) real world. It's not. It basically brings in the biases from our... It's a microcosm. Yeah, exactly. It's still very early days for black trail runners, but what are the next steps beyond asking race directors to be more intentionally inclusive? It's a good question. 
so we're still in the early days um, and this conversation has been had and things been um, kind of discussed and, and, and formalized. But just to give you an idea of where we are now and where we'd like to be, uh, at this stage, we are speaking to a number of uh, different brands, a number of different races, not just in UK, but internationally, uh, which has been uh, really amazing to, to have. Um, but essentially, I think being at the table where the conversations have been had is the most important thing because then uh, people are more conscious of what needs to be done in terms of because you sometimes you can live your life but not know something you just don't know until someone tells you. So I think that we, that's what we are aiming to do from 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 our side. Um, but beyond that, we'd like to move into, you know, just, I think initially we just want to give people more access into the sport um, in terms of places, uh, education, that kind of side. But we kind of want to develop uh, further. But like I said, it's it's kind of early days and um, we are still building. But I mean, it's a great place to be at. And um, like I said before, you know, when you're doing something just not just for yourself, um, and not just for your own running goals or just like just thinking about the world marathon majors or or any other major races which are great don't get me wrong but sometimes you have to go back to why why do you run um how can we get other people into running uh, to do the things that we all enjoy um and yeah so it's just a great to to be part of this um conversation that's been had right now where can people listening to this conversation learn more information about black trail runners so instagram um uh, black trail runners um basically at black trail runners or one word and we've got a facebook group as well we've got a website um but that's still being developed i think that's just got our open uh, letter but basically if you go to our instagram page click on the link there you'll see our open letter to race directors well, I love what you guys are doing. I'm glad that you got it off the ground. I hope that it continues to grow and helps grow awareness around the lack of diversity, equity, and inclusion in trail running. And I mean that in a positive way because I think if we can all take steps in our respective parts of the world to help change that, things can look a lot different just a few years from now and hopefully perpetually down the road or trail, no pun intended. Yeah, exactly. And we all can do that in our own communities. And I mean, even in our own lives, you sort of think, well, you question the things that you're doing. Am I doing, is this true? Is this right? And within our running communities, I mean, is it open to others? Um, Do I see people that don't look like me here? Uh, how can I make it more welcoming to someone who doesn't look like me? Um, how can I make it welcoming to everyone and make everyone sort of love the sport? Um, I mean, I've chucked a lot of questions there, but I think ultimately, I think we all can ask ourselves questions of how can we do more to make it more inclusive? Yeah, they're great questions. And I'm glad that you raised them. And I hope that more people listening to this ask those questions of themselves and of their communities, because if they do, and they take the steps to answer them, real change is going to happen. Yeah. You never know the impact that, you know, running has on someone's life. 
um, I've witnessed it myself and I'm sure you've witnessed it yourself. Um, it gives you so much that you, you didn't probably realize you'd get from it at the start. So if you can give that to someone else and they can sort of take that forward, then that's only a good thing. I love that. Last bit before we wrap up here, I'd love to talk about your podcast. It's called A Runner's Life. I'm a big fan of it. So let's spend the next few minutes just geeking out podcaster to podcaster. My first question for you is when did you decide to launch it? Ironically, it was at the start of lockdown, actually. I think it was the lack of connection to other people (laughs) (laughs) that basically spurred me on. And I thought, uh, you know, you sometimes have these conversations offline. You think, oh, that'd be really cool. And I was really inspired by like your podcast. I like the way that you sort of really go into just the, not just the, the times and the splits and that kind of stuff, but just really have a conversation with people. I was like, those are the conversations that I have with my running buddies I've met through, you know, the races that I've, I've done. So I was like, why not bring that online? And also in a, in a, ironic way it was a another uh, challenge to sort of face another fear because a lot of people have that weird fear of listening to their own voice mm-hmm. not like liking the sounds and you've probably had this i don't know if you i might be generalizing but when i first listened to my first couple episodes you're just like oh my gosh you're cringing but now i just don't care <laughs> I, 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 i'm over it yeah you have to get <laughs> over it otherwise you're gonna stall and just not make any progress i mean speaking for myself i've put out over 120 episodes at this point and i'll still go back and listen to some of the early ones and cringe and i cringe at everything from the questions that i ask to the tone of my voice to talking over some of my guests but i also know that by doing that, I've improved. And I'm doing those things that I shouldn't have been doing a lot less. And I've got better as a podcaster and as a conversationalist as a result. But yeah, it's, it's, it is definitely a, a, a hurdle that you, you have to get over. Yeah, and I agree. I think you definitely become a better listener because like you're saying, you, you learn not to speak when the other person's speaking, whereas you might do that in your normal day-to-day life. And also, mm-hmm. one of the things I you sort of pick up on is like your filler words, like the things that you say in between the films. <laughs> I'd say absolutely a lot. I was like, oh my God, how many times have I said that in a damn episode? It's just like, so yes, those kind of things that you learn, like I need to change my vocabulary just a little bit. It's funny to hear you say that. And I feel really fortunate that I have a great audio editor in John Summerford who <laughs> has helped me with every episode of the podcast that I've put out so far. Yeah. But the number of times that I've asked him to cut out those words like cool or awesome or whatever, uh, I mean, I, I'm admitting it right here on you know on my own show. You don't hear it as much because I end up cutting some of those things out. In general, I try to do it a lot less, but those, <laughs> those old habits, those sort of ticks, they die pretty hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, probably the worst thing is probably you hear it more than anyone else hears it. So anyone else hears it probably don't notice it as much, but you hear it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of sticks out. What was your intention with the show other than to have those types of conversations that you would have with your running buddies when you were thinking about the guests that you wanted to bring on, some of the specific topics that you wanted to touch upon with them, the length of the conversation? I'd love to get your perspective on some of those things. 
selfishly, it's probably to actually help myself because I'm basically asking uh, people questions that I want to know myself like wider questions rather wider than uh pace just things about life why do people run what are people's motivations how they see um failure quote unquote um how they you know don't take success and hold it like too you know too tightly um and i've been able to speak to like hugh bracia from the london marathon director uh to uh elite athletes to just everyday runners but everyone basically teaches me something different and it's just a real privilege just to uh you know just try to listen just try to find out something that someone else has lived that you can apply in your own life and you learn lessons i mean you don't have to be a two-hour marathon i mean i've learned some real amazing lessons from people that run uh times slightly slower than that but it's just uh yeah i think selfishly i'm basically asking the questions that i want to know about life in general um as opposed to kind of just really getting into like uh training or race splits or shoes or magic workouts because it doesn't really matter at the end of the day like you can have talent like we said before but it's just the hard work there's a consistency and that's all pretty standard stuff and what you may eat obviously may not work for someone else so it's kind of almost pointless almost talking about those kind of those kind of those details which some people love which is which is fine but for me, I, I kind of want to look at what unites us more rather than the things that can divide us. Yeah, that's what I love about your show. And I try to take a similar approach with mine. The conversations go below the surface of splits and race recaps and, and that sort of thing. And as you said, those those things are, are great, but there's so much more to every runner's story. And it's really curiosity driven thing right like these these people that you've maybe been following for a while or have been aware of and you're curious about a b and c and then to have the opportunity to ask them those questions that have been sort of burning in your own brain for a while and uncovering the answers is a pretty incredible experience and to be able to share that with other people who can be flies on the wall for those conversations is super cool as well yeah i agree and the thing is well sometimes on the outside looking and you can look at um people except some runners who just think that like some sort of superhuman they're kind of like something that you don't have and it's not always true i mean obviously they have an amazing something about them but they're still people ultimately and i remember speaking to like for example Aoife Cook and just listening to her life in terms of how she started off as a really promising junior then she went to the states to run across country had a great you know initial time there then it kind of went a bit south and then she came back to ireland and that really kind of she went through that sort of the deep and dark parts of her life and that was really interesting to hear because you just you just sort of think you know she's sort of superhuman that she just she was born to do it she had some serious doubts and she had to go through some serious dark places to get to where she is now um, to be getting close to, you know, getting the Olympic qualifying time. So um, speaking to people like that is just incredible for me. What have been some of the biggest surprises for you in your podcasting journey so far? Um, just people being open about certain things um, in terms of, I've had female athletes talking about the pressures of um 
starting a family, but still trying to go for a good time and resentment that comes with that potentially of were they not like the baby or that kind of stuff and but then wanting to do that then obviously on the, on the dad side um listening to fathers that have uh, lost kids um and, and it's not something that's spoken about a lot but you know a lot of people have challenges uh conceiving kids um and talking about that on the on the podcast has been an amazing sort of thing and i've got an upcoming episode where I talked with a guy called Lee Ryan about that. Um, and he talks about one of his, uh, his first uh, child uh, passing away. And, uh, you know, you're listening to the conversation and you just, you forget they're in a podcast. You're just like tearing up. You're just like, man, this is like really deep stuff. Um, and then I've had, uh, other people that have, like Jonathan Barr, he was, he had testicular cancer twice. Um, and just listening to how he went through that and just, him being open about how scary it was. Um, and I, I know him offline anyways, and uh, I know his family as well. And so that kind of made it a bit easier to sort of have that conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, then sometimes you have like the jokey sort of stuff, like you can sort of crack a joke with people as well. And, and you just sort of see that we're all kind of thinking the same sort of stuff, even stuff of like Nell Rojas as well. And she was sort of, we're joking about like <laughs> when she was at the Olympic qualifiers and like how surreal that was. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And even though how quickly she'd run before, it's like how cool is that you're sort of running alongside your idols and then you're judging and comparing yourself to, to them and <laughs> even it happens at that level. So everyone else thinks, thinks it's just them. It's just like, no, it happens to everyone. So from the funny to like the really serious kind of stuff, I mean, everyone's just kind of, I've given a selection, but there's just so much that I've taken from all the conversations I've had and it's been an amazing way to connect um, during this uh, crazy, crazy, crazy year. Yeah, my experiences have been similar in the time that I've been doing this, but I think it's a good reminder to all of us, not that you have to start a podcast, there's enough of them out there, so please don't do that, but make the time to sit down and have conversations with people in your life. I think for me, especially since I have a regular cadence to my show and I'm recording regularly, I'm having usually two of those conversations a week that... I'm recording and sometimes they're with people that I know offline and we're continuing conversations that we've already had on the run or elsewhere. And sometimes it's with someone such as yourself who I'm talking to for the first time and learning about in great detail for the first time. And I think from speaking for myself, like I don't know that I was doing enough of that or as much as I I should have been in my own life. And the, the podcast has been that for me, but it's also encouraged me to have more of those conversations with my friends and with my family and with my running friends offline that will never get recorded and an audience will will never hear. But it's been a good reminder of just how important that conversation and connection is, especially right now where we can't do a whole lot of that in person. Yeah. Having the conversations that matter you know, it doesn't always, like you say, always have to be online, but just having that connection and uh, being open and being vulnerable uh, is such a, a great thing. And uh, once you, you have that, it, you can't really sort of take it away. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a, a great thing to have on and offline. Last question for you. Who are some of your dream guests for the podcast? Oh, good question. I haven't thought about this, actually. Um I don't want to sort of say the boring sort of stuff of like Elliot Kachobe, uh, because I think 
<laughs> that's kind of been done to death really but um there's a lady actually online i think she's um i forget her name actually uh, she's a she's a muslim runner um and i want to speak to her um she's got quite a big following i think i've just listening to her journey i think she'd be quite an interesting person to speak to I just always think it's always the person that you don't expect that will have the best yeah. story. So I kind of don't really want to be like the the big names because I've always I've always learned that actually it's the people that I didn't think would tell me the best things. Yeah, I think it goes both ways, and I've done a lot more of these than you at this point, but I've definitely been surprised by, in a good way, by some of the guests who aren't as well-known and don't have as big of a following and maybe I don't even know quite as much about. But what's also cool is if you can get someone who has a fairly big platform of their own or they've done a lot of interviews and go to a place with them where they haven't been before. Yeah. And it can show this side of them that people don't know or maybe they haven't shown people. And I've, I've had a few of those and it can be just as cool. Yeah. It's asking the questions though that, that matter. It's just like what you do really well is that you listen and it's something I've I've heard of myself is like you don't just have a set of questions, you you have like a general idea, but you're really listening to what the person's saying and you sort of go into that and um yeah, if you can sort of really sort of hit that sweet spot and ask them a question that they've not been asked, then that's where the gold happens really. Well, you do a great job of it. I enjoy your show. If you're listening to this and you haven't checked out a Runner's Life podcast, you can find it in all the obvious places and I encourage you to do so. But Marcus Brown, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Morning Shakeout podcast. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for having me on the show, Mario. Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to show your support for the show, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to listen and subscribe. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I've always had a number of different New Balance trainers in my rotation, and I'm going to highlight a few of my recent favorites here in the coming weeks. The Fresh Foam 1080 V10 has been a go-to for me since January of this year, and I continue to be impressed with its comfort, versatility, and durability. I have beat the crap out of this shoe on long runs, easy runs, and fartlek sessions, and it still feels great under and around my feet providing me a secure, well-cushioned ride that isn't mushy. If you're looking for a workhorse to add to your own stable of shoes this fall, check out the 1080 V10 at newbalance.com or at the links in the show notes. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man John Summerford of bearsrecords.com. He's my audio ninja for this show and makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the editorial and social media assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. I don't have a big team here at the Morning Shakeout, but these three guys play key roles in helping keep this ship afloat. Last two things before we wrap up. If you want to support the Morning Shakeout directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support. 
I put out a separate weekly podcast on there called The Weekly Rundown with my friend and colleague Billy Yang and offer other exclusive perks and sneak peeks from time to time. Finally, if you're digging this podcast, I think you'll love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout. And every Tuesday morning, I give my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox. You can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I am Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 